0: Hello, this is Cindy again, coming to you from the beautiful state of Arizona. And today my report has a rather unusual title, ELMO, BLM, and School Counselors. I know that on the surface, these words seemingly um, sound silly together and like they have nothing in common, even if you've been following the news about each of these entities, and they have all been in the news at the same time recently. On January 29th, we found out that Elmo, our beloved Sesame Street character that I'm sure you all know, asked an innocent question on his social media account X. Elmo is just checking in. How's everybody doing? Well, his social media manager was not prepared for what came next. So many people responded. In fact, he received almost or more than 175 million million views. It was obvious that people are not doing well. One person replied, honestly, Elmo, I just need a hug. Others described feeling lonely, existential dread, and like they're just hanging on. Even celebrities wrote to him. The official Sesame Street account was pretty impressive. They They responsibly provided a link to mental health resources and probably helped a lot of people. Now we jump ahead to this past week, February 5th through 9th, when there was the annual conference for the American School Counseling Association, which is also called ASCA. Now, as I've mentioned many times before, I am a former K-12 school counselor, and so I still receive news from this association. Well, this year I was taken quite aback that mental health didn't seem to be the focus of this year's convention. Um, I'm not really sure I even saw it in the agenda unless I missed something. Instead, the week-long conference highlighted a new, very strange year of purpose In order to implement the Black Lives Matter, otherwise known as BLM, Guide for Schools, called What We Do and How We Done It, A Guide to Black Lives Matter at School. Now, I'm going to assume that this glaring grammatical mistake in the title is deliberate, but I can't say as an English teacher myself that I appreciate the point they're trying to make by inserting incorrect grammar in a school publication. I would think this could also be offensive to many Black people, and it highlights to me that BLM, as many people believe of of many races, doesn't truly represent people of color, but rather a radical Marxist-like agenda. Now, stay with me here while I explain what I mean. Uh, A nonpartisan think tank in Washington, Washington, D.C., called the Pew Research Center, claimed in June of 2023 that support for the Black Lives Matter movement has dropped considerably. From its peak in 2020, and a majority of Americans say this increased focus on issues of race in the past three years hasn't really led to improvements for Black Americans like people had hoped. In the Gazette, which is a Colorado digital news outlet, Black author Rachel Stovall had some good insights. She analyzed BLM and she called it a Marx-based group that seeks to undermine every national building block of order in our communities. She has also advocated that the black community drop BLM the organization. Stovall declared the Marxist-run organization BLM does not have the best interests of black people in its agenda. In fact, she claims BLM just wants control for themselves. Now, let me just digress because I'm going to quickly explain what a Marxist is. Since as a teacher, I've come to realize not every generation remembers or even knows what that word means. Uh, Karl Marx, where the word Marxist comes from was the author of the Communist Manifesto that was written a long time ago in the 1800s. Now, is that why BLM is pushing it through the schools instead? They're not making headway, so hey, let's just force it on children through the back door of the counselor's office. So has Ask left the mental health focus for Elmo to clean up? Now, I became a certified school counselor in 2019 after receiving a master's degree in school counseling. My three years of K-12 counseling, I worked under federal school safety grants the whole time. They were solely designed to help students who were in crisis and suicidal. ASCA kept urging schools to hire more and more counselors to meet this crisis, specifically a ratio of 250 students to one counselor. We're still hiring more and more counselors, but now I ask to what purpose? If you didn't know, counselors work very closely with the administration of a school, and they're also connected with all the stakeholders, parents, children, teachers, district, principals, you name it, everyone. It's also through the counselors that controversial agendas seem to appear to be pushed through, such as social-emotional learning, or commonly known as SEL. Also, if a child happens to think they're transgender, where do they go? The counseling office. And it's hit or miss whether your counselor is going to follow the laws of your particular state. Like, for example, here in Arizona, that mandate tells parents um, you know that they have to let them know if their children has um, become transgender or you know changed their status uh, regarding their their sex or gender. Now, I think and I think people are are catching on to the fact that um, things are pushed through the counselor's office, these different types of agendas. Um, I was perplexed in every school I was hired at for crisis counseling because the principals fought really hard to get those safety grants. Really thought they wanted me in there and I was all rare to go, but when I got there, they didn't seem to care. They didn't seem to want me to identify or help students need at all, really. They were fine though with assigning me chores like lunch duty. In one very memorable school, I walked about four miles a day doing three hours of lunch duty and broke both of my feet from stress fractures until I just couldn't do it anymore. They were fine with SEL lessons on empathy and bullying, even though they denied there was a bullying problem whenever I identified an obvious one. In one school, a suicidal girl was being mercilessly bullied every day. One day she was looking upset at lunch, so I joined her at her lunch table when she pointed her finger at a whole row of boys who were bullying her at the next lunch table. When the principal came over, she told him the same thing. And his response was, as usual, okay, like I always tell you, if you can't give me their names, I just can't do anything about it. Her response was actually quite logical as opposed to his, and it's something I really wanted to say. Well, I don't know their names, but they're right there. You probably know their names, or you can ask them. You are the principal. He still resisted, though. This was typical in the schools that I was at. There are anti-bullying laws in all 50 states, but I don't think schools are reporting it. As far as far as I can tell, this girl and her mother finally figured out they were purposely not being helped with the bullying problem, so they simply left the school. And I think that happens a lot. And tragically, we hear about that in the news when, when bad things happen, um, kids that, you know, um, take revenge because they've been bullied or something. We hear that way too much. In every school I worked at, I helped many students who were suicidal, but I received constant pushback from administrators. However, I didn't lose anyone to suicide, unlike some counselors who tragically do lose students to suicide, probably partially at least because of this pushback. Now, let me walk you through the process that a counselor should take with a suicidal child. If a counselor finds that a child has no reasonable plan or intent to carry out a suicide, then the parents are supposed to be called and given mental health resource referrals. However, if that child does have a reasonable plan and intent to carry out these thoughts, it becomes a real emergency. And my responsibility was to call the parents and the county crisis team. Now the county crisis team would come and they would thoroughly assess the child with the parents or guardians in attendance. Then the parents would take the child to a psychiatric hospital if needed for one more assessment by a hospital clinician. If that clinician felt the child should be hospitalized, then the child would be admitted for several days. Those are many layers of assessment that have to be in agreement before a hospitalization can occur. And I have to say I saw very positive changes in the children after they were released from the hospital. They also spoke mostly positively about their experiences there. However, I was treated often with hostility by administrators who frequently questioned why I was hospitalizing all these students. I explained I wasn't hospitalizing them. I didn't have that power. The county crisis team in hospitals made that determination with sign off by parents. Many times I was even asked whether I really had to call anyone when a student came to me in crisis. One principal said a teacher was sending a student to me because he was talking about suicide. And the principal actually urged me to speak to him really quickly and not delve into the matter too much. In other words, don't do my job. Well, in school counseling classes, we were frightened by the many stories we heard about counselors in schools who were sued because of not taking a suicide threat seriously, with the most important um, part of it being that students died as a result. Um, And that was scary to think of. I took my job seriously. I had a $1 million liability insurance policy through ASCA, so that shows you how much that can happen. One school district where I temporarily filled in for a counselor was alarmed because I helped a seven-year-old child who was suicidal. They didn't think anyone that young was serious enough to be able to commit suicide. Well, they didn't look at the the statistics because I'm sorry, that does happen unfortunately. In this case, I sent his, his family directly to Phoenix Children's Hospital because of his age and they agreed to admit him. That was a big deal because this hospital has a really stellar reputation. And in my experience, would not admit just anybody unless absolutely necessary. But this district was so alarmed that they said I would need to agree to have the school psychologist join me when I had another suicidal child. Now, this I couldn't agree to because the child might be fearful of opening up to two adults. And this would destroy any rapport and trust I had built with the child. I was concerned that another adult there would prevent a child from getting real help, which could result in a tragedy. And one of the school psychologists didn't agree with my decision to call the county crisis team. So I quit the job instead because what did they think I was doing? Convincing children they were suicidal? Once again, I believe it is an image issue that keeps on coming up over and over again in my talks to you. Administrators do not want the public to think there are any mentally ill students or any problems in their schools. So as I have concluded, these safety grants and the rapid hiring of counselors don't have much to do with resolving our suicide crisis. I actually think Elmo's more concerned than our schools are. I found out that these grants come with extra money too for schools aside from the salary given to counselors. They're also a good way to usher in agendas by controversial groups like BLM. Now this past week I was genuinely shocked when I noticed the extreme focus on BLM for this year's annual school counseling convention. Their 33 page guide, backed by the National Education Association, which is a national teachers union, encourages a really radical upcoming year for your kids at school. I have published this guide on X this past week. They have the BLM and transgender movements mixed into one very disturbing militant sounding agenda. Let me read you some of the excerpts from this guide. But let me warn you, you might not understand what they're saying because it, it, it's like a word salad. And like I said, as an English teacher, um, there are things I take seriously. Words are one of them. They they influence people um, and have a lot of power in our society. So let's keep that in mind. Okay, so one quote is, we are asking educators to reflect on their work in relationship to anti-racist pedagogy, persistently challenging themselves to center black lives in their classrooms, asked to participate in intentional days of action through the school year, uplifting different intersectional themes. Now, they have a whole bunch of um, days designated on the calendar, on this proposed calendar. Uh, One of them is November 20th, Transgender Day of Remembrance. Now, I'm not sure what that even means. And May 3rd, Black Radical Educators. Please note they say radical. Why not just Black educators? And many more days sound like this. Other quotes from the guide are, Our collective is guided by core principles that are grounded in a Black feminist framework. Political Views That Have Brought Us Together, Black, Queer, Feminist, Anti-Capitalist Politics. Wow, mouthful. I have to ask why the words feminist, queer, and anti-capitalist politics have been added to the words black lives matter. What about black males, straight black people, and capitalist black people? And why are we even pushing anti-capitalist politics in the skulls of America, which I thought was still a primarily capitalist country or at least one with a mixed economy they say they are also trans affirming. They say, and I quote, we are self reflexive and consistently do the work required to dismantle dis- cisgender privilege. We hold space for agender, intersex, transgender, and gender expansive. We work outside of the binary to achieve full liberation. Did you understand most of those words and phrases? I hear them all the time and I still have to think about what they really mean. By the way, dismantle dis- cisgender privilege means simply, let's destroy the so-called privileges that straight people must have. They are not only trans-affirming, but they say they're also queer-affirming. Now, why are these two being separated into two categories when they're usually lumped into LGBTQ? This is one of their quotes. We reclaim the word queer as an act of defiance and in solidarity with the intention of freeing ourselves from the tight grip of cis-heteropatriarchal assumptions. Now, do you hear the militant tone in all these quotes or is it just my imagination? They also certainly don't seem to care whether parents are on board. One strange question in the guide is, what are my rights, meaning the teacher, when when teaching materials that parents might find inappropriate? And what is their answer? Well, many items that teachers include in their curriculum are considered to be controversial. That's one of our jobs as educators. And I have to say, really? How many people would really agree with that statement? What about teaching kids the good old non-controversial basics, which is what I think most people believe school is supposed to be about. And finally, we have our NEA union statement near the end of the BLM guide for schools. The teachers union worked diligently during the last 21 months to secure a contract that will take care of the community, students, and staff and make sure everything is equitable for everyone. I have to ask what contract? Have taxpayers signed off on a vague contract? that sounds like it will funnel their money into some radical program. Finally, I asked, what does this BLM agenda have anything to do with school counseling? It instead appears to be a way to push controversial agendas through the back door into the counselor's office, like I said before. However, it's contradictory because the ASCA model has always emphasized that school counseling has to be comprehensive and apply to all students, not just a handful. So I'd like to ask how many of our kids are not only black, but also feminist, queer, agender gender, intersex, transgender, and gender expansive? (laughs) I can assure you, not many. Until next time, take care. And thanks again for listening. And Elmo, I think we need you now more than ever.